Well, good morning, church. It's good to see all of you here. Um, Now, this morning we are continuing our sermon series entitled Habits of Grace, Experiencing Christ Through the Spiritual Disciplines. Um, And if you haven't been here for the last month or so, we've kind of been repeating this phrase uh, over and over again. So this is is our goal for the sermon series, what we hope to accomplish here. Um, We hope to experience Christ in his transforming grace through the regular habits of our life. Another way of saying that is if we are compelled by the gospel message that Jesus has lived for us, that he's died for us, that he was resurrected for us, then it follows we want to meet with Jesus in all the aspects of our life, right? We want to make all of our life his and we want to find a way to meet with him. And as we meet with him, we talked a lot about this, as we experience him, we become transformed, we become more and more like him. So the last couple of weeks, we've been spending time on this idea of scripture intake. So the first week, we spent time on scripture study. The goal was to figure out, when we get into a particular text, what does this text say? What does it mean? And then the second habit that we worked on last week was scripture meditation, which focused on, in light of this meaning, how can I drive that meaning home to my heart and my mind so that I would be transformed by it? Now, I don't know if you guys had this experience, but uh, this past week I had been reflecting on Galatians because it was the homework, and I found as I was meditating on God's word that I kept finding myself in prayer. So, for example, there was this phrase that really stood out to me in our meditations. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. And I kept finding myself praising God, saying, Thank you, Lord, that I stand on your son's merits, on your son's works, not my own works, not my own righteousness, but your son's, right? And so my meditation turned into prayer. And it turns out, as I was doing some reading, that this is a pretty common uh, occurrence. In fact, the Puritans really spent some time kind of mapping out all of these habits and how they relate to each other. And they kind of saw these three as the trifecta, the uh, scripture study, scripture meditation, and then what we're talking about today is prayer. So one of these Puritans, his name was William Bridge, he kind of described this relationship between these three here. He said, as meditation is the sister of reading, so it is the mother of prayer. Though a man's heart be much indisposed to prayer, meaning not desiring, not willing, yet if he can but fall into a meditation of God and the things of God, his heart will soon come off to prayer. Begin with reading or hearing, go on with meditation end in prayer. And then he gives us something really helpful, really insightful here. He says, reading without meditation is unfruitful, meaning hearing from God but not reflecting on those words, not allowing those words to impact you, not fruitful. Meditation without reading is hurtful, right? To meditate on lack of content, to meditate on nothing or or things that are not God's truth, Uh, not helpful. And then last, he says, to meditate and to read without prayer upon both is without blessing. Meaning, to hear from God, to meditate on his word, and to never respond to him, to have this kind of one directional relationship would be a relationship without blessing. It would be a a one-dimensional relationship. And so what we see here is kind of this dynamic that he spells out for us. We see that 
as we study scripture, we apply those truths to our hearts. We begin to uh, take them in and they begin to transform us and we respond to God in prayer and praise. So the question for us this morning is, how do we pray? Um, Now, there's lots that we can say about prayer. There's a lot of scripture about prayer. And so what we're going to do today is we're just going to narrow in on a small section of prayer in Matthew 6. It's the section that um, Jesus tells us about in the Sermon on the Mount. So if you have your Bibles with you, we're going to just kind of go line by line. I know we already read it, um, but we're going to start Matthew 6, verse 5. And then as we kind of go through each phrase and each verse, they'll, they'll show up on the screen. So we'll start here, verse 5. This is how our passage opens. It says, and when you pray. So the assumption here is that if we follow Jesus, that we pray. See, Jesus doesn't say, if you pray. He says, when you pray. So there's an assumption there. Um, And this sentiment is actually repeated kind of throughout our passage, right? We see this multiple times. Verse 6, but when you pray. Verse 7, And when you pray, verse 9, pray then like this. We see that repeated over and over. Jesus is assuming that if we follow him, we will speak to him. But here's what's interesting. So it turns out that most people pray. There was a recent Barna Group study. Um, Barna Group is just a group that does a lot of surveying and studying on um, especially like Christian habits, lifestyle, belief, things like that. And they concluded this. They said prayer is by far the most common spiritual practice among Americans. And then they cataloged 79% of Americans have prayed in the last three months, right? So three months, four-fifths of the whole American population has prayed. That's that's pretty wild because we a lot of times kind of think of our nation as a non-praying nation. And yet lots and lots of people are praying. And what's even more compelling is the study found that even though less and less people are feeling the desire to be affiliated with kind of formal institutions, formal religious institutions, prayer habits haven't changed at all. In the last few decades, there has been no decline in prayer habit. And so the question is, why? What's, what's really going on here? And I think the reason is that deep down, we as people have been made with this impulse in us to respond to God, to turn outside ourselves and speak to God. We see this all the time, right? We see people who say they're spiritual but not religious, right? That's a common phrase now, meaning they like to pray, they don't like to go to church. It's a pretty common thing. Um, We see people who go through crisis, who experience loss, they witness some sort of uh, tragedy, they have some sort of hardship, They turn to prayer. Sometimes we see the most unlikely people speak about prayer in those types of of settings. But that's nothing new. So when we uh, look here at our our text, it turns out the ancient world was just the same, right? There's lots of people, um, not all of them associated with God's people, but lots of prayer, lots of flavors, lots of variety, just as it is today, so it was with Jesus. And so what Jesus is doing is coming in, Uh, and speaking to his disciples in a particular context. He's saying, there's lots of ways to pray, but there's a a right way and a a wrong way. And so what he's doing is differentiating right prayer from wrong prayer. And he kind of picks two groups to symbolize uh, wrong prayer for us. He picks the hypocrites, and then he picks the Gentiles. So verse 5 picks up first 
with the hypocrites here. It says, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. So the question is, who are these hypocrites? Um, Well, we can tell from the immediate context that these hypocrites are Jews because they're in the the synagogues, they're they're praying um, in in, um, a a place of prayer where Jewish people prayed. And we can kind of tell from broader context that these Jews are probably scribes and Pharisees, meaning that they are leaders of, of God's people. So what does Jesus mean when he calls them hypocrites? Well, I think what we mean, we we have a special meaning for when we call someone a hypocrite. What we mean is we say your actions don't line up with your words, right? You say something about yourself, but when you go and act, you don't live in uh, consistency with that. That's, That's what we mean. We have kind of a phrase or slogan for that, right? We say you don't practice what you preach. That's what we tell people. And so that's kind of how we envision hypocrite. But what about Jesus? Well, Jesus defines hypocrisy a little bit differently. So if you um, are kind of moving along in Matthew, you get to Matthew 23, Jesus defines hypocrisy for us. He says, woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. So he's called them out. He's called them hypocrites. And then this is what he says. This is how he defines it. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous. You you look like you're righteous to people. But on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. So for Jesus here, hypocrisy is to do all of the right things. The practice is not so much the issue. It's the internal motivation underneath, right? The motivation is not to honor God. There's a different underlying motivation that's inconsistent with the outward self. And so the question um, for us is, is um, what do we do? So verse 5 goes on. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they must be seen by others. So again, the issue here is, when we read this, we think, oh, they're drawing a lot of attention to themselves. They're standing in the synagogues. They're standing on the street corners. That's not so much the issue. Um, historically, lots of God's people did that. There was pretty regimented prayer. This is kind of an expected thing for the most part. The main issue is that these hypocrites have shifted their focus, right? They've shifted their focus from praying to God to performing for others, right? So they're no longer looking to God. They are looking to the people around them as they are performing these religious duties. In fact, Jesus tells um, or speaks to these hypocrites like this. He says they love, right? He uses that word love there. He love, they love performing so that they will be seen by others. See, that is their motivation here. Um, that is what they are after. They want people um, to look at them. They are trying to draw attention to themselves in their work. Now, if I'm honest, I've actually kind of struggled with this the the last few weeks. I know we've tried uh, this new sermon series. I've changed up how I've been preaching a little bit, um, kind of changed up my methodology, and I know sermons have been longer and and so on. And so I've been like really self-reflective, right? I've, I've really thought about how are people receiving me? Uh, I've gone on Facebook and thought, how many people have seen the video? Has anyone shared it? Has anyone, you know, I've become so self-obsessed, right? Um, and 
there is just this constant temptation to make this about you, right, instead of about God and then hoping in the process that you would be, you know, edified in that. But it is very tempting to make this about you and not about God. And so I think the importance when we come to this text is to not think, oh, the hypocrites are somewhere out there, right? Like they're outside of this church. Um, The hypocrite is me. The hypocrite is you guys. Like we are the hypocrites. There is a huge temptation for us to turn things that God has called us to, like prayer, and loop it back in on on us, make it self-focused, right? I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but maybe you're praying for someone and you're really into it. And in the process, you say something that's like really good, right? Maybe it sounds really smart or really spiritual or really powerful. You think, man, that was pretty good, right? <laughs> you, you, and then you think, wait a second. This is actually turning back into myself. This isn't to God and for others. But we are so quick. Um, we are so quickly tempted in our flesh to make these things about ourselves. And I think the issue has really become compounded, right? Because we live in a world where everything we do ends up on the internet, and um, what we do gets scrutinized by others. People either like it or they don't like it. Uh, People upvote it and share it and view it, or they don't, and it's very easy to tie in how we're being perceived in that way based on those, those metrics. And so we can turn something good, like a sermon, into a how much do people value me? Am I any good? Am I good at this? Do people care? Am I leading the church well? And so on and so on. It becomes all about me. And then here's the really sad part. This is what verse 5 goes on to say. Um, It says this of the hypocrites. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Isn't that a sad reward? To do all these things just to get a few Facebook likes, to get a few people to pat your back and say, awesome, well done. That's a pretty sad reward when you kind of boil it down to that and you think about it in those terms. It's not very fulfilling. The truth is, that's going to leave you empty. You're going to continue to want more and more and more of that, and it's never going to satisfy you. Um, but the good news is, this, this morning, Jesus is offering us more through prayer. He's offering us more. He wants us to experience more in our prayer life. And so here's what he tells us in response to praying like the hypocrites. Verse 6, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. So the word translated here, your room, probably better translated something like inner room or closet. This is a really small room, probably the only lockable room in the house. And so what you did was you kept something precious in there, right? Uh, this was a place where precious things were held. And, and so to be in it um, was to be uh, a special thing. To pray in it was a, a special thing. Um, now the point is not that we would go and pray in private all the time. Um, that's, that's not exactly the point. We know that because Jesus prays in front of other people uh, enough to think that um, this is not exclusively what it's telling us. The goal is that Jesus is telling us when we pray, God should be our focus, right? We should pray in such a way that we are focusing in on God himself. We shouldn't be as concerned about the people around us. We should be as if we are in a room locked alone with God. And I think when we start to pray like that, it drastically changes what happens to the people around us, right? The people around us are no longer looking at us. 
they start to lift up their eyes and look at the God that we pray to, right? And so our prayers should be God-focused in such a way that people are drawn to God through them, not to us. You know, that's the whole goal. That's what uh, Jesus is telling us here as, as we pray, to, to center our eyes, center our hearts and our minds on God. Now, there's something really important that we, we haven't acknowledged here, and that is um, that when the hypocrites are praying, what are they praying for? They're praying for the acknowledgement of others. They want other people to look at them. They want people to pay attention to them. Um, and people pay attention to them on the basis of their performance. Their performance is the reason why people look at them. But that's not how it works with God, right? God doesn't look at us because of our performance. There's actually an entirely different reason that God looks at us when we pray, and it's packed into this word, Father, right? So we're, we're called to go pray to our Father who is in secret. And see, of all the ways that Jesus can tell us to pray to God, our Father, he uses that, that word there, Father, instead of Lord or Savior or Master or Redeemer. There's many other ways that we could and should pray to God, but the primary way Jesus wants us to see is Father, right? This is really important to Jesus. He says it 165 times in the Gospels. That's a lot. It's one of the most used uh, phrases by Jesus, Father. Um, and we actually see it three times in our passage. And so Jesus wants us to draw our attention to this word. So what does it mean? Well, what happened is um, the Bible tells us that God created us in his image. Um, sometimes we use that terminology like uh, your kid is a spitting image of you, right? They reflect you in some way. So God created us in such a way that we would reflect him like kids reflect parents, right? We were to glorify God. We were to be in fellowship with him. And yet what happens? We rebel against God, right? We break that fellowship with him, and that image in us becomes tarnished. It becomes fractured, and we no longer represent this God who has made us. In fact, the Bible says that we, by nature, have become children of wrath. We have become children of wrath, no longer representing our Father, um, but representing rebels against our, our Father not deserving of God's fellowship, but right, we deserve God's wrath and his judgment. And the beauty of this is that it doesn't stop there, right? God could have just in turn paid us what we were due. We became children of wrath and he could have punished us so right on the spot. And yet, that's not where the story ends. This is the beautiful part. The father sends his one and only son, his true spitting image, Right, The radiance of the glory of God. He sends his son into this broken humanity. This Jesus is born of a woman. He takes on flesh. He experiences our brokenness. He experiences the suffering and temptation that we experience. And yet, what does the scripture say? It says he was perfect. Right? The father says during his baptism, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. This is my son whom I take pleasure in. This is the one whom I love. And this is where something really radical happens and is unexpected. We might be thinking it's expected because we've heard this story a lot, but this is really radical. The one true son of God goes to the cross 
and he is treated as a child of wrath on the cross, right? He is treated as a child of wrath, as a rebel against the Father, the only one who has truly represented the Father, treated as a child of wrath, so that we might be treated as a child of God, so that God would look at us and say, you are my beloved son, you are my beloved daughter with whom I am well pleased. And this is what we are called to respond to this morning. We are called to receive this son, Jesus. And as we do, we're no longer children of wrath, right? We are children of our father, our father who loves us and takes care of us. John 1 says, But to all who did receive Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God, by sheer grace. See, we become children of God because of the Father's gracious sending of his Son, his willingness to give up his Son, and the Son's gracious willingness to lay down his life for us. We become purchased by this God through his Son. And that radically changes the way that we come to prayer. When we hear that word Father in prayer, that changes everything. Why? Because we don't need to perform before this God for attention, right? We don't need to perform. He already pays attention to us because Jesus has done everything, right? We stand on Jesus' accomplishments, and we stand before the Father as his children because Jesus, that radically changes the way that we pray. We come to our God knowing that he is a good father, knowing that he is pleased with us and that he loves us because of this truth. So picking up, in in light of these truths, how should we pray? Verse 6 says, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. So the hypocrite's reward was acknowledgement from others, right? They wanted acknowledgement from others. What is our reward? I think when we look closely here, our reward is God himself. Our reward is God himself. Galatians 4, 6 says, And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. See, we have been given his spirit, and we cry out to him now. We cry out to God, our Father. We cry out to him, Abba, Father. We turn to him who loves us. We turn to him who protects us and cares for us and provides for us. See, and then we get to enjoy him. Prayer is an opportunity now to meet with God, not to perform for him, but to meet with God, to fellowship with him, to experience him as our Father. How much more valuable is that? than a few Facebook likes, right? That is way more valuable to meet with God of the universe who now calls us Father, who we can stand before in full confidence. That is much, much better. And what a shame it is. Like when we act as hypocrites, when we make it about other people, what a shame it is that in that we are saying what these people think are more important than what God thinks. What other people say about me is far more important than the proclamation, this is my beloved child, right? Um, it is it's just so sad when we do that. Um, and I, I think we need to be more mindful of that as we pursue our prayers. Now, so we've kind of tackled one danger. We've seen the hypocrites. What about the Gentiles? So verse 7 says, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, 
for they think they will be heard for their many words. So this is really interesting because Jesus seems to kind of be making a slide at the Jews here uh, by comparing the two of them. Um, the, the Jews never wanted to be compared to the Gentiles in any way. It's also kind of another slight here in that while the Jews are focused around the people um, who are near them, the Gentiles are at least kind of focused heavenwardly, right? They're at least kind of looking up to the sky when they pray. Um, but when we look a little bit more closely, we find that's about all the Gentiles have right. They're praying in the right direction, but they are definitely not praying the right things. Um, now, the major issue with the, uh, the Gentile prayers, that they kind of pray transactionally. So what does that mean? What does it mean to pray transactionally? It means that um, the Gentiles are praying to a god or gods in such a way that if they perform in certain ways, the gods will have to respond. They'll obligate the gods in some way um, to act on their behalf. So when Jesus is saying they heap up empty phrases, they talk in long um, and long phrases and, and go on and on with their many words. Um, that is kind of what is being um, talked about here. So I did a little bit of research um, because I didn't think I knew exactly how the Gentiles prayed. So I did a little bit of research and, and figured out how Gentiles did pray at the time. Um, so here's a, a few ways that they prayed. One was to kind of heap up honorific titles, you know, like your majesty and your king and, and so on. So if you guys remember, um, maybe from junior high or high school, you had to read Homer's Iliad or Homer's Odyssey. So I was working through there and found some prayers in there that kind of represent the Greek prayers of the time. There's a prayer to King Apollo that says this, Hear me, O God of the silver bow, the one that protects holy Cilia and rules Tenedos with your might. Hear me, O God of Smith. And, you know, there's lots of prayers like this, piling up names to flatter the God so that the God is kind of wooed into acting for you. Here's another example. You can remind the deity of favors that you've done for them, right? And so that prayer that goes on, um, from, or the, the prayer of King Apollo that goes on says this, If I have ever decked your temple with garlands or burned your thigh bones and fed of bulls or goats, or grant, uh, grant my prayer and let your arrows avenge these my tears upon the Danans. Meaning, oh God, I, I came to your temple. I uh, performed sacrifices. I did all of these sorts of things for you. I made sure that all of the shrubs and, and all of the ornaments were clean and fresh and all of that sort of thing. Um, so answer my prayer. Do me a favor in return. You know, so kind of bargaining or wagering with the gods. And then the last way that they prayed was to use certain words or formulas. So it was thought that these words or formulas were actually magical. If you said them right, if you kind of encanted them right and did all the hand gestures and stuff, the gods would have to act because you'd kind of cast a spell over them. So there's examples of Roman magistrates who'd have really, really long prayers. And they would practice them and practice them and practice them because when they performed them publicly, if they messed up, they would believe that they can make that prayer ineffective. And in doing that, render you know, the whole contents of that prayer void. And so they were very hesitant to miss a syllable and didn't pray very uh, spontaneously. It was very uh, rigid and, and structured. And so when you hear this, you might think, ah, I don't pray like the Gentiles. That doesn't really seem to relate to me. Um, so if you dig a little bit further down, I, I think there's a couple ways that reveal that we do pray like Gentiles. So if you look down at verse 31 and 32 in chapter 6, it says, therefore, 
Do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. So there's two marks here um, for Gentile prayer. And the first is, if you're kind of praying transactionally, your prayer is going to be marked by anxiety. The question is, is your prayer life marked by anxiety? Are you unsettled before God? You kind of pray frantically before him. See, when we see our prayer as a performance, as something that gets God to do something for us, then the focus becomes on us, what we do, what we say, how we do it, how we say it, how we perform it. And then um, it ends in this, this vicious cycle where we can never fully satisfy God. We can never get the prayer to work, right? Uh, we see this underlying anxiety with the way that the Gentiles um, pray. The second marker here is when we pray transactionally, our prayers become much more self-focused. They become self-centered. So the question is, is your life marked by this? Questions like, what will I eat? What will I drink? What will I wear? Will I be healthy? Will my family be healthy? Will we get that car? Will we get that promotion? Will we get that job? Will we get that new house? On and on and on. What will I get out of prayer. Now, the issue is not asking God for things. We'll learn that in a second. The issue is not asking God for things. The issue is coming to God primarily to get things from God rather than primarily coming to meet with God. See, there's a big difference there. Meeting with God and enjoying him is far different than just coming to him for stuff. And that's how the Gentiles pray. So scripture tells we're not to pray like to the, the Gentiles. We're not to pray transactionally. Jesus tells us instead, verse 8, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. See, when we view God as Father, it really does change the way that we are, are praying. Instead of being marked by anxiety, what do we get to do? We get to stand before God in confidence, because we're standing again on Jesus's works. We stand before God in confidence, not anxiety. Instead of trying to win God over with words, we rest knowing that he's already aware of all of our needs. Not only is he uh, aware of those, he desires to help us. He desires to provide for us and care for us. He has not forgotten about us as our father. And instead of praying self-centeredly, we, we start to pray differently. We start to pray for the Father's name to be glorified, for the Father's kingdom to go forth, for the Father to be magnified in and through us, and we become less and less focused on our, ourselves. If you finish along in that, that passage, verses 31 uh, to 32, it goes on to verse 33. It says, For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. And then this is his encouragement to us. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Focus on God. Focus on him as Father. Enjoy him. And he'll take care of you as Father. He'll be your father. We don't, need, we don't need to worry about that. He will take care of us. So in light of all these truths, the question is, what do we pray? We've seen a lot of how not to. So the question is, what do we pray? What is the content of our prayers? So Jesus goes on in, in verses 9 to 13 to share what's commonly referred to as the Lord's Prayer. Um, we uh, are probably familiar with this prayer. In the first service, we actually say it all together every, every Sunday. 
Um, and as a church, we actually spent a lot of time on this. So if you want to go back, you want to go a little bit deeper than we go today, there's a whole sermon series on it. It was done in 2015. It's called Following Jesus. You can find that on the website. But our focus this morning is we're just going to quickly, um, as the last thing here, go through the Lord's Prayer and look at the variety of ways that we can pray to God our Father. And so um, as we do this, this is not something rigid that you have to, to stick to, but Jesus gives us this prayer so that we can see the richness, the fullness of prayer to our Father. So don't feel like you're bound to this, but let's see the riches that it's, um, are, are here. Let's, let's see those exposed as we read through. So verse 9 opens like this. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven. And so the primary thing, the first thing it opens up with again our Father, which means Jesus wants all of the prayers that follow here, all of the prayers that we're going to talk about, to be um, through the lens of this reality that God is our Father. Our prayers should be colored by that reality. And so we're going to go through five prayers here. You don't need to write them down. They're on your homework on the back, so just, we'll just go through them quickly. First is prayer, praise and adoration. Verse 9 says, hallowed be your name, meaning... Father, we desire to make your name great in us. We desire your name to be made great in the nations. We desire people to know you and for you to be magnified. Father, it is all about you. That's what it means when we pray, hallowed be your name. So praise and adoration. Second prayer is submission. So verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, we desire your, king to, your kingdom to come in our life. We desire it to break in. We desire it to break forth through us and into the world. We desire to submit to your will as our Father. We desire to obey you, and we hope that others would come to see you and to call you Father and obey you as well. Third, we see this idea of petition. So verse 11, give us this, our daily bread, meaning... When we come before God, we can pray, Father, provide for all of our needs. We know you are good. We know you love us. We know that you um, know that we um, can entrust everything with you. We know you care for us. And so we submit all of those things to God, our Father. There's two more here. We can start to see kind of how this fatherhood, as we approach our Father in prayer, how that begins to shape and color the way that we pray. It's, it's starting to look a lot different than the hypocrites and the, the Gentiles here. Next, confession, repentance. So verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Father, forgive us for the sins we have committed against others. Father, forgive uh, uh, forgive us of the sins that we have committed against you. Forgive us of, of all that we have done wrong. Father, we thank you that we stand before you on the basis of Jesus, that we get to approach you through faith and through forgiveness and allow that to spill over into our hearts and our lives so that we forgive our debtors, so that we forgive others and we love others around us. And then our last prayer here, protection. So verse 13 says, Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And so we pray like this. Father, deliver us from the fiery darts of the enemies. Deliver us from the, the lion who is prowling and seeking to destroy us. Deliver us from our own lusts and our own temptations that seek to shipwreck our faith. Sustain us, protect us, preserve us, keep us, Father. 
See, we begin to pray much richer, much deeper prayers when we see our God as Father. We come to him to praise him and adore him. We come to him to submit to him and advance his kingdom. We come to him asking that he would provide for us and forgive us. We come to him asking for protection and the ability to persevere in light of all the challenges and difficulties. What deep relationship our Father is calling us into this week through the habit of prayer, right? God is calling us into deep relationship with him. And so my encouragement is, as we kind of wrap up this morning, that we remember how deep the Father's love is for us, right? The Father's love is deep for us. No longer are we called children of wrath. No longer are we called children of contempt. We are called children of God, beloved children So as we go out into prayer this week, remember the God of the universe is beckoning us. The God who has created all things is beckoning us to talk to him, to meet with him in prayer. And so that's our invitation this week as as we finish. Amen? Amen. Amen. So in response to what we just heard, um, we are going to pray the Lord's Prayer together. It's already up here on the screen. So what we're going to do is we're going to read it together in the same way that we read it um, we pray it together in the first service. So we're going to start with our Father. I'll start and you guys can just chime in and, and we'll finish it out. So, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. All right, let's pray together.